Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host. And I have a great conversation for you today. Uh, today, I sat down with Archbishop J. Michael Miller and had a chance to talk to, about his book, The Holy See's Teaching on Catholic Schools. Uh, Archbishop Miller is the Archbishop of Vancouver, Canada, and uh, he served on the uh, Vatican Congregation for Catholic Education. Uh, he served as the secretary. And man, we have a great conversation. Uh, for you educators out there, he talked about the beauty of the vocation to be an educator and how it's not its not a cold profession. Uh, he spoke very honestly about the new vocabulary that's developing around encounter and friendship with Jesus. He talks about how Catholic schools' rediscovery of their Catholic identity is a place of hope and renewal. Uh, he talks about the role of parents and how we shouldn't speak about the parish in the school, but we should begin to speak and think of them as one. Uh, and he talks about Catholic worldview, how faith and reason are really an essential part of the Catholic identity, and that our Catholic identity goes much deeper than just uh, one hour a week class and symbols. Uh, so anybody here who has a student in Catholic schools, you have worked, taught, maybe you're a product, uh, you're going to love today's conversation. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha, designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Archbishop Michael Miller, thank you for, for joining us on the EquipCast today. How are you? Very, very, I'm very well. Thanks very much, Jim. It's a a pleasure. Is Omaha cold? Are you in, in freezing temperature? Well, so I can see snow, but I'm hesitant. Ugh. You know, for our listeners who don't know that you're in Vancouver, Canada, right. I don't know what the temperature is. I'll, I'll, ours I'll is, check here. It's, ours is seven degrees centigrade, which is probably about 44 or something. Okay, you're you're warmer. We're we're just we're just right at freezing. 32. Right. Well, we don't have we have snow on our mountains, but we don't have any snow on the ground. <laughs> That's right. We don't is get it snow. Yeah, relatively temperate because of the coast, Very, right? Because of the coast, and we get rain. Yes, we're like, that's we're right. Like, we're just like Seattle, which is just to the south of us. So okay, but it says on my thing, it says mostly cloudy, but there's a bit of sun. We had two days of rain. Typical oh, January weather. That's great. We just had a big snowstorm come through here, and my kids were disappointed because what should have been a foot of snow turned into you know three inches with a little bit of rain. So I see. So they didn't close the schools. No, yeah, I'll tell I'll tell them to be yeah, I'll tell them to be grateful. It's like yeah, you could you could be in Vancouver and it could rain all the time. Yes. <laughs> if you don't like rain, don't come. Yeah. So Archbishop, but just a, a little bit about your your background. I sure. I noticed that you are a member of the congregation of St. Basil. I am. Tell us a little bit about uh, just a little bit about yourself, but particularly I'm interested in the congregation of St. Basil. Right. We're uh, often referred to as the Basilian Fathers. We were founded exactly 200 years ago. We just celebrated our bicentenary mm. in France. It was a group of diocesan priests who, during the French Revolution, had continued kind of in secret uh, a, what we would call now a minor seminary. Yeah. And they lived together at this time. After the, the freedom, you know, with Napoleon, these guys decided that they wanted to do two things. They want, Of course, they wanted to be priests. They also wanted to teach and live together. Ah, yeah. And so they they got a, a, a 
an école secondaire, a secondary school in a town called Ananay. They directed it. It was a small group of people. Then in the early 1850s, one of their former students ended up being named the Archbishop of Toronto, which at that time was receiving lots of Irish immigrants. And yeah. we established their uh, St. Michael's College School and eventually the, the University of St. Michael's College, both of which continue to this day. And then we expanded around the Great Lakes. We had uh, for years a good, a big high school in in uh, Rochester, Detroit, Gary, Indiana, and a large presence in Houston. We've had schools in other places as well, but it's really kind of Toronto and Houston were the original major places. I was in Houston, where yeah. we founded a, a boys' school in 1900 and a university in 1947. Wow. And a lot of missions, Hispanic-serving missions, sort of along the Gulf Coast. Now we have places in Latin America. Our vocations are coming mostly from Colombia and Mexico. But sure. we were teaching yeah. community. That was the... And I was yeah. in the prep school in Ottawa that was taught by the Brazilians. And uh, in those days, they had co-institutional schools, which was, you know, think yeah. of the nail. One, 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 one um, line, boys' school, the other line, girls' school, in the middle, chapel and gym, which yes. we would share, and after-school activities. That's great. I went to a, a Benedictine high school in Kansas that had a similar model. There was a girls' see, school. Yeah, is Benedictine College, is that? Yes, is that, yeah, Benedictine yes, College. Yep, I graduated from there, met my wife there. Did you have a, a philosophy teacher? What was his name? John Rebus. John Rio. Yes, I John did. John Rio. He, I, he, when I was in Houston, he has his degree from University of St. Thomas. In yes, studies. that's right. I had a huge, he started a great books program there. Right. And much of my coming back to the faith, I would say my intellectual conversion came right. in the context of that great books course. Wow. Yeah. What what a small world that is! It's a very the Catholic world is at a certain level very small. Yes, well, tell us a little bit. I mean, my conversion was sparked in many ways by that like content. I mean, I still remember Saint Athanasius on the Incarnation and a number of these these books that I remember reading them and having this this very sinking feeling. We're like, oh no. This makes sense. This is true. And, this and, and is going to change. If, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and if it's true, this is going to change my weekend plans. Yeah, yeah. It was very, you know, I'm grateful for it now, but at the at the time, it was uh, it was a real conversion experience. Tell us a little bit about your first encounter with Jesus. Yeah, I saw that question, and I was thinking that's the kind of question that we use all the time when we're talking about evangelization, and there's lots of testimonies and so on. Yeah, I grew up. I was a kid in the 1950s. We did not talk that way. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, an encounter with Jesus. We had a certain kind of certain piety, which we would never have expressed in terms of, uh, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That was considered a Protestant question, if it was a question at all. Mm -hmm. But we people had devotional lives like devotion to the Sacred Heart and so on. A, a lot of these things are obviously based on person-to-person -person, uh, engagement and colloquy. I didn't have a great, a great conversion experience. So that when we go now to these to our ordination banquets and stuff, where the young guys are able to tell their stories, mm. I don't have. I wouldn't have an interesting story. It was 
you know, Catholic kids in the in the 50s and 60s when I went into the seminary, it was so ordinary. Yeah, in, it was a different experience. culture. It wasn't as exceptional. Still no, generous. It wasn't exceptional at all. When I was in the novitiate, we had eight guys from the football team at Catholic Central in 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 Detroit. I mean, it, it was um yeah. It, it, it wasn't the, so the notion that I gave up a Wall Street possibility or I was a great attorney, none of that. It was yeah. I had been to a Catholic boys' school, saw the priest that I interacted with, of course, and we had for four years, I had only one class one year that wasn't taught by a priest. And the sign on the uh, going up the stairs said, this picture of a, uh, they had a young priest at the time, you know, just, and it said, long hours, hard work, no pay. And underneath, Brazilian fathers. <laughs> That's a great recruiting strategy. So, yeah. And, you know, we'd get a talk maybe once a year or something, somebody would come around. And so it just developed in me that I certainly thought seriously about it in high school, but I went to college first and then entered during college at St. Mike's in Toronto, entered the novitiate. We were 42 guys. Yeah. Wow. Now, if we get 10, we're considered blessed. Yeah. How do you, because again, you now, I mean, as a, as an archbishop, and we were talking right. a little bit about you know, obviously vocations and then talking right. a little bit about divine renovation and seeing some of the shifts that have happened in the church. And yes, we're going to talk shifts. about, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Catholic schools as well. How do you help faithful Catholics, right, of the maybe the background era generation where they had an experience like yours? You're like, well, I don't know. I've just always been Catholic. And I mean, right. I love the Lord, but I'm, I'm not used to thinking in those categories. How do you help explain you know, to, to Catholics, no, it's okay to talk about Jesus. I think it's, um, it's been, it's a slow process. It's been a slow process for me to, to, how, what can I say it? Acquire a new vocabulary to describe experience. Sure. And I think it's just that the language and the expressions are increasingly simply in that vein. A, a lot of it, we use the, the term, we use personal relationship. We also use friendship. Yeah, you know the uh, Pope Benedict um, was very fond, of course, of John fifteen fifteen, and that I think just just by sort of repeated use, it's the language that we use in our when we have conferences on our website. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, priests just use it; it becomes natural. And also that when it comes up with members, say a, a Knights of Columbus council or something, or what we have the Catholic Women's League. Yeah. When somebody, if they're giving a talk and someone will express that they don't really know what that means, you try to unearth for them that, in fact, much of, often of their devotional life and their prayers, that that's really what they were doing. And this is, in some ways, naming an experience that a devout practicing Catholic has, in fact, had. Yes. But they haven't, they haven't used, they haven't, they haven't used the nomenclature that, that is more more common. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And they get used to it. You know, when they go, when, when we have, in Canada, focus is called Catholic Christian Outreach. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, missionaries on, you know, it's exactly the same thing, missionaries, college campuses, raise your own money, have a dinner, invite all people to support you. And of course, their testimonies are loaded with new vocab. Mm -hmm. The people there are older because they have the, the dough to support them. 
<laughs> they warm to that and they like it. Yeah. And, oh. I, and I think they bit by bit probably can identify identify with it. I, I think it's becoming now that it's not so foreign. Yeah, I love the way you express that. It's not that it is that that different of an experience. It's the expression. But yes. I, I've noticed, I mean, you know, having worked in collegiate ministry myself yeah. for so many years, noticing the, the commonality between sometimes these young people who've fallen in love with their faith, many who have maybe rediscovered a devotion like the rosary, right. and they find themselves like, man, I think I have more in common with grandma than most right. of my peers or anyone else because I love the rosary too. And, right. you know, and, and there may be a slight difference in vocabulary, but in essence, the love of the Lord and the experience is the same. I think that that, of course, transcends. I mean, we it would be preposterous to think that all of a sudden people have discovered the the importance of life, you know, in union with God. I mean, we used other terms, right, to describe this union was yeah. a big, what what was a major the the soul's union, right? With, yeah, you know that kind. Of, it's a different language, and it all is trying to express something that is really stupendous and almost inexpressible, and. Yeah. One language, you know, I think personal, like personalistic language does work today. It's today's way of doing things, whether, whether in 200 years we'll be using the same language. I don't know. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. So much of your, again, right. Yeah. Your day job, you're the archbishop yeah. of, of Vancouver, but you have served uh, as the secretary for the congregation of Catholic right. education for the Vatican. Uh, you've been involved in education all your life. Right. If you can, give us just a little bit, uh, so much has changed in Catholic education uh, yes. here in the United States and Canada. Can you give us some background to the current situation of our Catholic schools? Just kind of bring everybody up to speed. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, of course, Catholic schools, I mean, it depends where, where you are. And I suspect in the States, it depends a lot. I'll just say a brief thing about Canada and then and then move to the States. In Canada, education is a provincial responsibility. There are three provinces where there is complete state money for Catholic education. They have systems which are, which are called wow. separate school systems, 100% supported by public monies with public school boards. I think the uh, the Catholic school system of metropolitan Vancouver, I think, is the largest in the world. Wow. So it is a Catholic system, but it state state funds. State funds and with Catholic boards. So they're not parochial. And they're not directly under the bishop. Right. This has presented in recent years enormous problems about assuring the Catholic mission of the schools. Yeah. Because to get on the board, you you just need um, uh, a baptismal certificate. That's all the government can require. They don't can't go into practice and they don't want to do that. Right. So they have all the money they need and they struggle with ensuring the Catholic identity of teachers, Catholicity clauses in, con in contracts, those are all very difficult. Mm -hmm. The measure of Catholicity depends very much on the local school board. So in a rural area and stuff, there'd be great relations with the bishop and so on. You move into some larger areas, sure, there are tensions. There are a few provinces now that have no Catholic schools. None, maybe one private one mm -hmm. in the maritime provinces and the province of Quebec, where 60 years ago, 90% of the schools were Catholic and run by religious. 
In British Columbia, we have a, a kind of mixed model. We have all independent schools, so not just Catholic, receive 50% of the operational government funding provided for that school district. Wow. But we own our schools and have to build our schools. Sure. So in Vancouver, we own, we have 52 schools, 42 elementary and 10 and, and 10 and 10 secondaries. But we are we are free to have Catholicity clauses and so on. We can hire mm-hmm. and let go of, I guess, to make it rhyme, hire and fire. Sure. Uh, according to the uh, the clause is very clear that a person has to be a practicing Catholic in line with the church. You sure. can imagine it's usually unhiring. It's usually marriage issues that present a difficulty. But we can say um, un- until there's an annulment or something, you can't teach sure. in our schools. That's, you know, but we struggle for, for money to because to build a new school now. Oh, yeah. Is enormously expensive, particularly, although the high schools are regional, several parishes are are responsible. An elementary school, a new elementary school, we just built a double stream one, it was $25 million. The only reason it could be built was that the parish had some excess land that it could sell. And Vancouver, of course, has land mm. here among the highest in the world. If you don't have wow. that, that's too much. We're, that's we're a worried. lot. We're worried that individual parishes particularly since we're we're confronted with a seismic need to seismic upgrade our schools where you know we're in a mm-hmm. a zone right for actual earth earthquakes so yes it's a little bit more expensive construction a lot more so uh, but our schools we're able to maintain a, a, a very strong catholicity of our schools and anything right. that we don't do is just on us sure whereas in some places it's you can say well the province just won't let us do it you, you in a sense you can blame outside authorities. Sure. This is a fascinating conversation because I mean, in, you know, so much in the United States, I'm sure you're aware, there's this uh, major effort to try and secure some sort of state funding, either in the form of a voucher or a tax credit or, you know, direct scholarships to families. There's been all sorts of creative efforts. Uh, It's interesting to hear then, you know, you talk about the Canadian system where there is government involvement, it's not necessarily a panacea. Helpful, but not always. Not always. And and when I first came, because I grew up in Ontario, where when I was growing up, it was like high school was not full funding, it was partial funding, but eventually they fought and, and got the whole thing. And so when I came to Vancouver, I thought, well, maybe we should really work in getting full funding. And I was told in pretty short order, Look around what happens when when the government becomes too involved. They're not going to give, they're not going to fund mm-hmm. without control. So just leave it as leave it as it is, where your independence is assured. So yeah. anything that, that happens in the States, any model would have to be very carefully, but you know, n- nobody in the States talks right. about full funding of the of, of Catholic schools. It's always yeah. partial. But it comes right. with a cost. You mess with governments. They have their own agenda. Yes. You have to be careful. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the American uh, system, because you begin your book, right? which I should say, that the, the book is The Holy See's Teaching on Catholic Schools. Uh, you begin your book just with a quick overview of the, the kind of the state of things 
uh, of Catholic education in the United States. Right. If you would just give us a, a quick overview, because that is so eye-opening. Right. Well, I think one of it, of course, is the, the, the decrease in the number of students mm-hmm. has has decreased enormously. And even not just the absolute numbers compared to the early 1960s, but the percentage of Catholic children. As the Catholic population has grown, the, 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 it, it, it hasn't uh, kept pace. Because of the expense, unfortunately, so many of the Catholic schools have closed that are in inner city that serve the poor and the marginalized. Yeah, Precisely the group that the present Holy Father is kind of directing our attention to, and which we used to be able yeah. to serve, is now the one, although there's the desire, uh, funding in many places is extraordinarily difficult. Mm-hmm. Another major shift, of course, is that uh, religious, and in some in some places even priests, right. were a large presence and the carriers of the Catholic tradition in a school. And they, very few schools had all religious or anything. They were always, you know, lay people who worked sacrificially. Yeah. But the religious were able to embody the school's sort of unwritten Catholicity just as as part of a a Catholic culture. Yeah. And that's gone. Religious, for the most part, do not dominate in any sense the school system. And that's made a... um, I think it's made a significant difference so that yes. keeping the schools Catholic is now has, has to be much more intentional. Right. Well, it was a loss on two fronts, right? It was financially a loss. You know, yes. what, what you pay a community of, let's say, women religious versus what you need to, to pay a lay person, to be fair, is is enormous. Right. Yeah. yeah there's there's a difference in justice and, and what it, what is required. And then the the faith formation uh, yes. as as missionaries or educators, it, there was just a different formation that came with those who were religious. Yes, it was. I think it was just automatic with the religious. After all, their whole life is right. Novitiate onwards is very different from a twenty three year old person who's coming out of a state school of education, even if they're practicing Catholic. Yeah, probably does not at all have the same initial and ongoing, frankly, daily formation that would have been normal for uh, a religious teaching in a Catholic school. And when that rug is pulled out, you couple it with the decline in basic catechesis in the 1970s and 1980s, Mm -hmm. multiple reasons, that even the young, pious Catholics or large numbers were not really well-formed, even if they they Mm -hmm. themselves, so so that it was... um, a lot of factors came together. And it was a perfect storm, yeah. It was a perfect storm. Uh, yeah. And, and so many schools closed. Yeah. I mean, we the, some of the numbers you share, I mean, since 1965, you know, five and a half million students. Now, mm-hmm. today, almost, almost half that, right? Two and a half million students. Right. And I think you point out that losing losing those students in the context of tremendous population growth and even more the losses were for were in rural and intercity schools where schools where we were able to serve the underprivileged exactly that's a that's a sad kind of commentary really because the we 50 or 60 years ago we were able to serve now we use the term those on the periphery of the marginalized yeah better than we do today right so there's there's I think a vision that is 
subtly present and, and maybe a, a hopefulness in your book that there is something about the rediscovery of a school's Catholic identity. Yes. That not overnight, not as a magic silver bullet, but begins to begins to kind of restore what has been lost. And I mean, I would say just from as a parent, you know, sending children to Catholic schools, it's beautiful to see what happens when schools rediscover their Catholic identity, how it also seems to address some of the financial and enrollment issues as well. Yeah, no, I think that I think that is true. I think we're where school has really kind of caught on fire and become intentional about its Catholic mission, I think that in some ways the schools are more, those schools are probably more deeply Catholic, more intensely Catholic than some schools that were certainly culturally Catholic 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there it's, um, I think it's just like that in the general population that those, right. Those who are attending mass, tend to be more engaged than a lot of them were 50 or 60 years ago because they wouldn't have fallen off. It's like Quebec, which I know, which went, once had a 85% of the people were at mass on Sunday. Yeah. But when it fell off, it fell very quickly. Yeah. And you can't help but ask the, the question, just how deep was the evangelization if you can slough it off in a 10-year period, you know? Wow. Did it, and I just want to make sure everybody catches that. You know, like Quebec is a city, French Quebec, such a deeply Catholic culture and city. 85% of the people are going to mass. And within less than a generation. Less than a generation. Less generation, 10 years, it goes, it goes away. And yeah, you have to ask, it's like, well, gosh, what was really going on even when the pews were full? Well, exactly. And I think that's something in some way we'll never really know, but we can look at the swiftness of the decline. It's also if it's true now. I mean, and if one compares, God bless them, the Irish, mm -hmm. within a generation, what's happened? Yes. Yeah. How did how did that happen so yeah. quickly? Yeah, the legalized abortion in Ireland. And, yes, yeah. exactly. You know, it's the forces of secularization. But that that's just to attribute sort of an external push to an internal space that might not have been very strong, right? Because it it didn't couldn't resist. Yeah. Well, you know, in some ways, schools are part of the answer. They so sure are. Let's, there's nothing let's like dive, it. Let, let's dive in a little bit, because again, our lives have been changed by, by Catholic schools. You start off by talking about the importance of shared responsibility with parents. Yes. Give us a picture. What does it look like in practice? Okay. I mean, I, I think, you know, we all know the basic Catholic facts. Parents as primary, primary educators of, of their children. No, but sifts are at it's not the state, it's not the parish, it's not the school, it's not father, it's mm. it's it's the parents that they they have uh they have that responsibility and a right. Right. And all the data backs up the theology. Yeah, it sure does. You know, now, if a parent is practicing, very high likelihood. Oh, well, we know that. And you know, particularly, well, you know this already, I bet Jim, it's particularly the father. Yes. It's the practice of the father, although in our mind. We put it on the mother. We know it's the exam statistically across across faiths and across cultures. It's the, the practice of the father is the is far more determinative of the practice of both boy and girl children yes. than that of the mother. Yeah, I love it when statistics <laughs> reinforce theology. Right, that we do. Now, you know, 
I think certainly in in a system which is in the states, which is where the schools are parochial, they're basically parish based. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, a tremendous advantage. It's also the way ours are in, in Vancouver because of the smallness of and the the community with within which the school is located, that it naturally allows for parental involvement in appropriate mm-hmm. ways, which is yeah. not possible. Yes when you start dealing with very large bodies, mm-hmm. uh, like you don't, you probably have a diocesan school board as well, but it doesn't deal directly with, with children so much. It's more policy and, and wider. Mm-hmm. And public schools, they, they, they don't come from natural communities in the same way that Catholic schools with parents. Mm. Say more about that. There's a parish community, which is from where most of the the parents of our children come. Yeah. And although we also know that they're not all as practicing as they should be, the parents, some some parents send their kids to Catholic schools, maybe to give them something that they feel they've lost for, for a number of reasons. But nonetheless, there's a there's a commonality. And I think it allows for appropriate parental involvement through usually some kind of st- in a structured way within a within a school community and they're usually smaller. Yeah. Many of our schools are there's just one of each grade so they're 240 kids, some are 440. Mm-hmm. Very few uh, no elementary school is over 450. Sure. Yeah. Whereas you start getting into the state schools and they're these huge things and their their high schools have 3 and 4,000 people our high, our high schools have 5 or 6 or 7 or 800. Mhm. It's a different magnitude, and I think the community we sh- we we should rejoice in the community basis of a uh, parish school. Yeah, it's like there's a natural community there, there is. or or a pre-existing community, a pre-existing. Yeah. and it helps it helps support and enrich the school. It does, and and we'd like to talk about. I mean, there's uh, this is we we have some places where they talk about the parish and the school. Mm-hmm. Or they'll even use their three tripods, parish, family, and school, you know, support one another. But it's not the school and the parish are not, shouldn't be seen as distinct entities. They're two mm-hmm. buildings always. There's a church building and the school mm-hmm. is beside it or across the parking lot. But the school is more integral. But we, we do use the language of parish and school. And I don't know how to get around that. In a few places, the school community, is well they're not opposed to the parish but they're they're too distinct they're too distinct yeah thank you for saying that because i think many of us here whether it be as a parent or a pastor a school leader or a parish leader have recognized that there's we're like well how did this happen there's this gap between the school community and the parish community they are essentially usually Sometimes not, but mostly legally and financially, they're they're the same. Yes, yeah. Here they are. I mean, the school is the property. Yeah, of the parish. How, how do you, how do parishes and schools heal that gap? How do they begin to work more intentionally to build up the church? You know, create <laughs> communities with a missionary identity together. I think one of the ways that they that they do it is they they try to get the kids far more involved. In the parish, in parish life, uh, you know, it, it used to be very common where children's choirs, all kinds of activities, where they feed into the parish directly. Mm-hmm. We also have what's called parish participation hours, 
every family has to give 40 hours of service mm. as the uh, parish education committee mm -hmm. dictates. You know, they have somebody who, you know, they're on school patrol, you know, they, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Now some parishes are saying, ah, parish participation hours should also be for activities so-called in the church or in the parish, not just supporting the sure. school. It's a so way to integrate those, we call yes, them volunteer hours, yes. but integrate the two. Integrate the two and try to find a language which is not parish and school. That The school is subsumed under the, the ecclesial reality that we call a parish. Mm -hmm. uh, that we don't have figured out yet. There's not a common, a common vocab. There's just the corrective. Yeah. I, because, I appreciate the, the, the that. I mean, it's a common the, mission. Yeah. It is. I mean, that there's one. We're we're one community. Sometimes they'll use the like the Saint Mark's community, the Saint Mark's Catholic community, which I don't tend not to like so much. But then on the other hand, it, it allows for the worship, or the church building and the school building are both part of this larger ecclesial entity. Mm -hmm. Whatever community seems a little work a little weak, but but I don't have an I don't have a yeah an alternative uh, nomenclature. But I appreciate your highlighting that the language itself sometimes reveals this this uh, the divide that sometimes has has crept in in there. You talk about I mean I think we can say okay there's a there's a unity of mission even if the yes. expression children versus adults right is different. You have in your book a whole chapter on each of what you call the essential marks of a Catholic right. school. Can you just kind of run through those? Give us a little bit little bit of what those essential marks are. Right. Yeah. I, I came up with, I use the term marks I, because we're used to four marks of the church. And I just put some material together under, under certain headings. The first was inspired by a supernatural vision, which really is like all Catholic activities. It's like basically it's the saint making, mm -hmm. you know that that's that, that that this has to come. We're inspired by the gospel. This is, uh, and the school. I think I'd even be a little clearer now. Is engaged in the evangelizing mission of the church, mm. you know, like the parish. That's that's what this that's what this what the, what the school does. And this is of yeah. course a vision which is not. Um, I mean, it it precludes seeing the school as even a, an elementary school as simply a, a kind of cog in a functional consumers kind of way of which the way which some people see schools ultimately is job training from little from learning numeracy right, yeah. and, and and language skills up through up through on second oh. i think what what is real important is the uh, it's a little fancy that found that under Christian anthropology. It's just that, that our schools have, a, as as Catholics, we should, it's one of the great crises of our age. It's founded on a solid understanding of who the person is, in this case, mm -hmm. who, the, who the little gal or the little guy is for elementary school or the, the gangly teenager is for our high school. And mm -hmm. then it's, it, 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 it's, it's founded on a, I think, on what we would traditionally call human nature, which of course is increasingly being battered about and called into question. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Christian anthropology, you know, here we are, we are embodied eternal souls right. in the image of God. 
that felt like throwaway language 10 years yes. ago. I was going to say when I wrote this, now I wouldn't have worried, been worried about gender ideology. Yeah. It hadn't occurred, it hadn't occurred to me in 2006 or whenever this was, 2005. But now that's a big deal. Yeah. Now Christian anthropology is not a given, even sometimes in our Christian institutions. No, that's very true. And I think that's I think this is this is something that those responsible for a school, whatever I mean, it's not just the teacher and the pastor, it's it's that body of people working with both, that they have to be attuned to this, very attuned mm -hmm. to what's happening. Well, I, and I see a relationship between these first two marks, right? The first mark, inspired by a supernatural vision. I love the way you said it. Not just some sort of cog in the system. The school isn't just trying to educate consumers, right? To the second mark, you know, founded on a Christian anthropology. What we're trying to do is we're trying to make little saints. We're, we're trying we to let men and women, uh, well, eventually men and women, but children who are made in the image of God, we're trying to help them become who they're really made to be. Who they're really made to be, which is, which is deeper than being a consumer. You got it. And, you know, we don't let go at all of their of their destiny. Yeah. I mean, this is this is part of the of, of the journey to the father's house. Yeah. What, what's the third mark? That one I talked about animated by communion and community. That's really the sense of. I guess we more common language is stakeholders. How the stakeholders mm, sure. are to work uh, with a profound sense of unity of purpose and with one another, and that's like from the from people like me, from the bishop to school boards to parents to teachers mm -hmm. to that everybody. I mean that this is a unified. This is a unified work, uh, mm -hmm. and it's it's a work of uh, of the body in which everybody has a place. And has to respect, and this is where it gets a little tense. I mean, I have to be careful not just to intervene inappropriately mm -hmm. in school boards when, I mean, I'm not entrusted with hiring. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a general oversight to see about the Catholicity, but whether it's Joe or Jane, even though I might like Jane better than Joe and they want Joe, I, I've got to opt out of that. I, I Right. You, you show know. respect for the local leaders' indeed and discretion that, and wisdom in their hiring at every level. That 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 needs to be done. Mm -hmm. The what we call parish education committees, or you know, they're the the group that really work. They have to respect the uh, the role of the principal. Mm -hmm. the principal has to kind of also know who the teachers are. All of these things, parents, what's appropriate for where there are school rules uh, it's it just it's a it's a way of staying in the in the appropriate lane yeah it, i don't remember if you use this metaphor but as you speak my mind is drawn back to you know saint paul's you know many parts one body exactly who's we're not all eyes ears or yeah yeah and it all works together and there is an irreplaceable role for parents and there's an irreplaceable role for the teachers and the volunteers and the principals and the pastor um and if we can work in harmony, we can do something really beautiful. Yes, exactly. And and that's where there's often a bit of a rub. And I that I don't know whether we can kind of remove that totally mm -hmm. uh, when a parent feels that their child is not getting the appropriate attention if there's special needs. And those are things where we run the most, where parents kind of, well, you can see they're defending their child and, and their rights. 
but where mm. there's friction where somebody says no sure you see the needs of your child i have to think of the other 25 kids in the in the classroom etc cetera, etc cetera. those are always going to be where we things have to be talked through well and you can inevitable the well and you can see how the parish's responsibility to form parents as mature prayerful virtuous i'm thinking of the virtue of patience in this case yeah uh, uh, christian adults that boy things go a lot better with the school when parents have a sense of reverence for roles and responsibilities and vice versa when and vice faculty versa. faculty have a reverence for the unique responsibility of parents i mean i don't know how it was in canada but when we went through covid and questions of masking and oh, distance yes. Oh, we sadly it revealed some places were like, oh, not all of us were behaving very well there. Right. You know, some of us were 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 overcome by fear, and that's understandable. But boy, some of the unity which we would have hoped would have been there, uh, it was clearly strained and right. maybe that's, revealed uh, room for growth. We'll just say it that way. That's 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 a nice that's a, a very nice way of um, of saying it. One of the areas that I think we're kind of think about education is our so-called parish education committees, which might be, I don't know what they're called in the parish, but it's the parents with the teacher mm -hmm. and the pastor when they meet, is to kind of remind them that they have a, an oversight of the Catholic identity of the school, mm. not just for fundraising uh, and so on. Right. And that's, uh, that's, we've had to work on that because that's, they, uh, they, would just as soon say father or the principal takes care of all that. But if it's a Catholic school, that group has responsibility for some oversight. It can't simply be outsourced to anybody else. And that's right. That's harder for them to understand. And, and, and yeah, well, I mean, I, I would imagine, you know, I don't know if it's exactly equivalent to the committees you're talking about, but I think of the school boards yeah. here, that's what we typically call them. You know, your job isn't just to raise money for the school and make sure we've got, right. you know, up-to-date, you know, gym equipment. Right, exactly. Nice, nice uniforms. Uh -huh. it, that almost goes, so we've got, right, three, three down so far, the inspired by our supernatural vision, founded on Christian anthropology, animated by communion and community. It seems like we're already kind of naturally talking about the, that fourth mark imbued with Catholic worldview through the curriculum. Right. I just want to start by reading a quote here that you put it's on page 47 in the book. You're, you're quoting John Paul II here. And this is, it's always fun, right? When, when you get a, a quote from a Pope, now a saint, that starts with a phrase like the greatest challenge. So, uh, yes. That's <laughs> like, it's like, you know, it's Setting like setting you up. Yeah. So something to like you know, perk everybody's ears. So, all right. This is John Paul II from Veritatis Splendor, the splendor of truth. He says, the greatest challenge to Catholic education in the United States today and the greatest contribution that authentic Catholic education can make to American culture is to restore to that culture the conviction that human beings can grasp the truth of things. And in grasping that truth, they can know their duties to God, to themselves, and to their neighbors. Wow. Break that down a little bit for us as, as you talk about this fourth mark, Catholic schools should be imbued with a Catholic worldview through the curriculum. Yeah. 
I think, you know, the quote that you read from uh, St. John Paul is one that's repeated, of course, and particularly also in Benedict, it's, it's the importance of, of truth, mm-hmm. not just religious truth, but truth that, yes. and, and, and the, the, the value of human reason, because nowadays there are even those who dispute uh, reason as being um, useful for uh, human flourishing. Mm-hmm. Now, a Catholic worldview uh, throughout the curriculum is based on, the Catholic worldview is based very, very strongly on the notion of the harmony between faith and, and reason. Yeah. Because a Catholic worldview is a way of looking at the world, obviously, through the eyes of the gospel and with everything that is naturally revealed and supernaturally revealed. And this means curricularly that the mark of a Catholic school is not just, is not at all confined to its religious education program or its uh, use of symbols or celebration of mass. Yeah. A Catholic worldview is about, is everything. It's, it's the way we look at the world, where the way we look at, 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 at truth, the way we look at reason, the way we look at, at, at beauty. And this means that it's throughout the curriculum that everybody is, you know, there's such a thing as the Catholic intellectual tradition. Yeah. And even in, particularly in high schools, but even to a, a, a more limited extent, obviously, in elementary school, that this is something that our teachers should be familiar with and that they know how to make connections, not just pious when they're learning arithmetic, it's not about putting how many hosts would you put in if you have 50 hosts in this one, <laughs> 75. And you know, it's it, it's not that. It, it, it's it's that people can see the wider picture. And yeah. a lot of our teachers have not frankly been formed in that. Right. Right. And so that's a that's a big challenge. Yeah, there is. I mean, increasingly, I think many of us are, are you know, th- those of us who are not professional philosophers or maybe you know, haven't been theologians, only now we're beginning to recognize at a very practical level, because there's a difference in the way we think as Catholics, uh, or at least there should be, the way we view the world. And I I just can't help but think I'm I'm grateful for some of the teachers my children have had, where I just think of like Gregory Mendel, Mm -hmm. you know, for those, a Benedictine, uh, actually, he is but a scientist. He was right, the one, indeed. right, for, for for the listeners who remember, he's the one who was experimenting with the pea plants, you know, and some had yellow flowers and some had white flowers. Uh, he's a monk and a scientist and in many ways laid the foundation from a lot, for a lot of modern genetics. And he had to stop experimenting with peas because he was elected abbot mm-hmm. uh, and he had other responsibilities. That should not be... Uh, an odd, funny anecdote, but it often is because in our own mind, there's been this subtle expectation that to be a scientist is to be a person of the world and not to be a person of faith. And in fact, the best scientists, the best, the best people of faith are open to the, the natural world and, and science and vice versa, that faith far from stilting that accelerates it and and brings it to a a, a perfection. Um, I, so I just, I love that worldview. No, I think that's absolutely true. It's that kind, that, th- those are things we have to be, I think, in, increasingly aware of so that we don't, otherwise what we're doing is isolating religion 
from ordinary the ordinary experiences of life and we're setting up sunday catholics basically yeah who are, who, like who it's can just be, one day a week bias, but there's a lot of their life that just they're not opposed but has they think that has nothing to do with their faith right well this is right this is jesus's parable like we're the we're supposed to be the salt of the earth the earth and we've kind of lost our flavor mm -hmm. uh when, when we can you know when we're only salty one day a week one hour a week uh -huh. there's this vision that the lord has for us and that you describe as this catholic worldview that the way our curriculum forms us should prepare us to in business and science and social work and on and on our faith should be i'm going to say this but it sounds like a dangerous word infecting all of the life yes, it should be around us yeah it should be the integrate it should be the the integrating principle yeah and not just brought in from the outside i think that's that's really true that because yeah. we don't want faith and culture i mean the, the the society works to divide them and and pushes faith farther and farther away into simply into the private private realm which is the sunday realm or the yeah. reduces faith to devotion bring us home here i i feel like your fifth this fifth mark mm -hmm. of being yeah you know, a, 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 like a, a mark of a essential mark of a catholic school almost feels a little bit like like a pinnacle talk to us about the sustained uh, this mark sustained by gospel witness. Yeah, I think here it's to return kind of the, to the to the persons involved in a Catholic school, and this I have sort of mainly my eye on those who are the educators, the teachers, or the and the educational assistants. Sure, that teaching is not just a a cold profession, particularly in a Catholic school. The teacher mustn't must certainly be a professional and, and no subject matter in pedagogy, but they're also called to be a witness to Jesus Christ, to give to be a witness to the gospel that students recognize because children particularly they can smell out hypocrisy pretty pretty well, and if <laughs> yes. somebody is is kind of proposing things and, and so on, and they're not doing them or they're not they're not living it uh you've really introduced a rupture in, in, into the system mm -hmm. and this is why i think that we the catholic schools have to insist that those who are with the children are to the best of their ability they're, they're not perfect I, I know that these are still catholics who are going to confession and so on <laughs> but that they uh are serious about the faith and they see it as essential to their profession that they uh, want to reflect Jesus Christ in their own lives and and bring him to others in in the ways it's different for a first grade or second grade teacher doing first communion from eleventh grade teacher doing physics, but that but that each one sees the the importance of the mm -hmm. integrity of their life, and that's where hiring and so on becomes so important that a Catholic school cannot just cannot sustain itself with people certainly who are opposed to the faith which can actually sometimes creep into a school sure or those who are maybe lukewarm we want as much mm -hmm. as possible as the market can pull them in mm -hmm. to have catholics who who are teachers who are really interested in being evangelizers right it, you know, they might not use that language but but that that's what they're 
yeah. that they're about, that they're true disciples, they're intentional, in other words, that they're intentional disciples. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I love that. And I would, I'd add, when they come to teach, to be a part of the community, wherever they come to us at in their own faith journey, can we help them grow and mature? I mean, I, I'll give a little shout out. Yeah, no, we have yeah. to, for sure, because they often don't come with it. They come with goodwill, but frankly, less formation or not knowing. Yeah, I'll give a shout out. I mean, our yeah. own, you know, Archbishop Lucas here in Omaha, you know, big proponent of Catholic education and has very seriously uh, invested with the Evangelium Institute, uh, yeah. a local organization. And so our our Catholic educators, uh, grade school and high school alike, do in-service days where they are learning about their faith in... I'll, I'll say because I used to be an adjunct teacher, so I was right. having, okay. I was having fun. But <laughs> so I right. say, but in in a fun communal environment. But they get a chance to pray together. They get a chance to study the faith at an adult level for them as disciples, with the confidence that it will overflow out of their life in the classroom, um, and that that is a gift we can offer to those. You know, because they're often our, our sacrifices. We're going to offer that gift. We will help you grow as a disciple as you teach in this community. That's, I mean, we 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 try to do some of that. I'm not sure it's, if it's as well developed as you have, whether you have Evangelium or... Yeah, it's called the Evangelium Institute. There's also an organization called School of Faith, which is out of Kansas City, which does something very similar. Yeah, because, I mean, we offer something called Foundations for the Faith. We have a faith development day at the beginning of the year where all 1,300 of them come together in a big oh, beautiful auditorium. And we get usually get folks from the States to come in because <laughs> and do some. And we're offering now um, some three courses at the local Catholic college to get a, a degree in, in Catholic school administration or something. Nice. We can touch the new, the new teachers, but there's that middle... Mm-hmm. People who've been in it for 15 years and 16 years, that 20 years, that kind of know the system, mm-hmm. and, and and they're there and, and they're good, but they're probably a lot of them are not really on fire. Mm. It's to, it, that's that that's the contingent that is. I'd love to find a way to stimulate them a little more. Right. Well, it's. I mean, it sounds like I, I hear a pastor's heart. You know, how do you take the faithful who are there? and stir their hearts into yeah. flame yeah, yeah. E- exactly with, with particularly becomes a little when it's a little dicier when it's linked to employment you have to be a little right yeah our time has just flown i i just want oh, wow. to in, okay. in closing i want to give you an opportunity you, at the end of your book and the conclusion you you offer a really just a fun i i would say slightly provocative idea so what if catholic schools educators, the boards, the, you know, principals, uh, parent groups, what if we would do some sort of Catholic accreditation process? Like the self-assessment, which is so beautiful in in the culture of education to say, what if we were to assess how faithfully we're living our Catholic identity? Uh, I'm curious, like, tell us what what would that look like? Okay. I, um, that, that, that proposal is actually, uh, being taken up now, I don't know whether you know about the fact there's been the foundation of a new the at Catholic University of America called the Institute for the Transformation of Catholic Education, ITCE. 
I am not familiar with it. Okay, it was just founded about a year ago. The founding um, CEO or head of it was uh, Sister Agnes Greifendorf, a a Nashville Dominican sister. She's stepped aside now and they they have somebody else, but they are working very seriously precisely on putting together the criteria for um, accreditation. If you go on their website, it's under wow. um, ITCE, you'll, 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 you'll see the beginnings of what's happening. That It's one of their main charges. That's and in fact, in fact, that little lecture that led to the pamphlet was at Catholic U, um, it was sponsored by Frank Hanna from, um, he's a philanthropist, Catholic philanthropist from Atlanta. And he's also kind of behind this. He's been a big supporter of this new Institute of Catholic U. So it looks like this might actually bear bear fruit in the not too distant future. Wow. Well, we will definitely link to that in the show notes uh, for you know our educators and parents yeah. and board members uh, who who would be interested in that. You said the the ITCE, right? The Institute for the Transformation of Catholic Education. It has a lot of, uh, they're developing a lot of great resources Beautiful. that are imaginative and creative uh, on how to transform places where, where the Catholic education is, is, you know, not wrong, but maybe not exciting enough, not using the, the, the best and the riches of the, uh, sure. of the Catholic tradition. Uh, it's also linked to those who want to see maybe a more, um, classical education. There's, there's different things. You just look at the beautiful. Yeah. It opens up possibilities. We'll link to that in the show notes. We'll also, we'll link to uh, your book, uh, Archbishop J. Michael Miller, the Holy Sees teaching on Catholic schools. Wonderful, uh, short little volume, but it's, I mean, it's very easy to read, but it's, it's packed. There's so much good stuff in there. Archbishop, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jim. It's, it's been a pleasure. All good things to the Catholic schools of the Omaha Archdiocese. Thank you. Thank you, Archbishop. We'll be we'll be releasing the podcast here uh, for Catholic Schools Week. Would you just do us the honor to, to close us in a prayer and maybe offer a blessing uh, for parents and students and uh, all of our educators? I should, I, I'd be delighted. Thank you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious Father. You who are the source of all light and all truth and all wisdom, we implore your blessing upon the students and the educators, the parents and the parishes of all those who support Catholic schools and their mission of bringing people close to you. May their efforts be ever more creative. May their initiatives be inspired by the Spirit and may all that they do lead finally to uh, fulfillment in you and in your glory. And this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God in his endless mercy bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, Archbishop. Take care. God bless.